Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be looking at three unlikely healings. So we've been um, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and, and, and finding out what Jesus believed through what he taught. And now we're going to glim- get a glimpse of kind of how he interacted with humanity. And we're going to see what he believed through how he lived. And both of those things are extremely important. Um, chapter 8 starts out by telling us what happened after Jesus got done preaching his sermon. It says, when he came down from the mountain, the crowds followed him. And I couldn't help but thinking, like, if every time I got done preaching a sermon, if, the, if, if everybody followed me and, and kind of just watched, you know, what I did in the car and, and what I did at the store and what I did at home, and it's kind of intimidating, but this is exactly how we're supposed to live. Um, it, it, uh, it's really important that those two things match up. And of course, with Jesus, they did match up. But one, I liked one commentator talked about, he said, we had the Sermon on the Mount, and, and now it's followed by the Sermon on the Move. And it's a good way to look at it. The people hearing his sermon that day were so taken with what, what he had said that they, they wanted to find out more, and so they just stuck to his side. And, um, and, and that's uh, in, in, at the end of chapter 7, it actually talks about how they were just astonished at Jesus' teachings. They'd, they'd never heard anybody teach like this with this kind of authority. And now they're going to watch, they're going to be even more astonished because they're going to see his authority displayed in a different way, in, the, in these healings, these miracles that are about to happen. And the conclusion of this, when they get done watching what Jesus does, hearing what he taught, and then seeing how he lived, there's only one conclusion that they should, should come to, that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. He is God, the Son of God, the promised Messiah in the flesh, the Savior of the world. And in fact, this section ends with Matthew quoting from Isaiah 53, which they would have been very familiar with as, as Jewish people. And, and this confirms even further who he was, because the end of Matthew, he quotes, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. But, but if you know Isaiah 53, you know that there's a lot more that it says about this individual. And so like if you were going to you know, go to a sketch artist and say, okay, to describe who this person is, when they got done with the sketch... According to Isaiah 53, you'd be looking at a picture of Jesus. There's no question. It's like, ah, we've got our guy. Because it says that he would be despised and rejected. It says he would be the one who would bear our griefs and our sorrows. That he would be the one that would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And that through his suffering, we would have healing and peace. This is, we know who this is. This is Jesus himself. 700 years before he came, Isaiah the prophet described him perfectly. So we're going to be looking at these healing stories of three unlikely candidates this morning, a leper, a Gentile, and a woman. And you might be wondering why I'm putting woman in the category of unlikely healings. We'll, we'll, we'll explain that as we go. But all of these people represented the marginalized in society at that time, those who would have been probably the least deserving of Jesus's attention. And, and so it, it confirms what we, what we read or what's written in Psalm 147 too, regarding the mission of Jesus. It says, the Lord gathers the outcasts of Israel. And this is something that we should take note of and pay close attention to. Jesus loves the unlovable. He, he treasures the throwaways. He, he came for the underdog and for the outcast. And so we're going to read about three of these stories. The first one starting in verse one is the leper. In verse one, it says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now I want you to imagine you're part of the crowd that day following Jesus down the mountain. You just heard the greatest sermon ever preached. 
and now you're glued to his side waiting to see what he's going to do next. What's, you know, something you, you, there's almost anticipation. And then, and then as you're walking down the mountain and the wind begins to blow up the mountain, this smell kind of hits you in the face. It's a, it's a smell you, you've smelled before. It's kind of a smell of rotting flesh. And, and you know, you kind of know what it is. And then, then you hear the cry that, that always sends chills down your spine when you hear it of, of somebody crying out, unclean, unclean. And you know who it is. It's one of those people you never want to run into. Uh, one of the grossest people in society, a leper coming your way. Luke's gospel tells us this man wasn't, didn't have a little bit of leprosy, but he was full of leprosy. Lepers had very specific rules they had to follow according to Leviticus 13. They had to, um, you wanted to be able to clearly identify them. So they, they had to wear torn clothes. They had to let the hair of their head hang loose. I'm not sure what that means. I'm picturing like a comb over gone bad, but I don't know. But they had to let the hair of their head hang loose. And, and they had to cover their upper lip wherever they went and cry, unclean, unclean. They had to live away from everybody else outside of the camp. And then the tradition also tells us that they had to stay six feet away from everybody, which, you know, the original six foot rule, I guess. And you've got the, you've got the unclean mask. I don't know if that's where they got it from, but maybe too soon. Sorry. But, but if you're, but if you're in the crowd that day, and you see this leper approaching Jesus, you've got to wonder what's going to happen next. You have to have this anticipation. What's he going to do? How will he treat such a disgusting person? Okay, now try to imagine what it would have been like for a second to be the leper. Uh, Joseph, the famous Jewish historian, said that lepers were basically walking dead men. Most people assumed this disease was associated with personal sin. So in other words... If you had leprosy, you had done something to deserve it. This was God's judgment upon you. And unfortunately, this is not a rare way to think for people. Uh, we used to volunteer with uh, the Elisha Foundation, which is now called Guide Light, uh, a ministry started by some friends of ours, and the church supports this ministry still. It's a, it's a ministry to families who have children with special needs. So they either have physical disability or mental disability. Their son was born with, with Down syndrome, Eli. And uh, sorry. I mean, if you know anything about people with Down syndrome, they're the best people in the world. I mean, they're just so, they're not, but, but what, what we found is we got to know these parents without exception, almost every one of them thought that the reason their child was the way they were was because of sin in the parent's life. We did something that caused God to do this to our child. And it was heartbreaking to, to, to see this in them. And, and we see the same mindset in John chapter 9, if you're familiar with this, this story of the blind beggar outside of the temple that, you know, he was probably a fixture there that they saw quite often. And, and G, you know, Jesus is walking with his apostles and they see the blind beggar and they come up with a theological question for Jesus, which they've already thought through. And they think they know, you know, there's two possible answers here. So they ask, hey, th- why was this man born blind? Was it his sin that caused it or was it his parents' sin that caused it? <laughs> Wow, what an assumption. They thought they had it figured out. I don't know how a baby sins in the womb that can cause blindness. I mean, I, I still haven't figured that one out, but they, this was a theory. There's a couple of problems with this way of thinking. And the first one is this. If this is how God does things, do you know what I would have right now? Leprosy and blind kids. That's the truth. Um. The second thing is this, that while the Bible does make it clear that death and disease and disability all result, they're a result of the fall. So they are a result of sin. We, we know that, but not necessarily 
personal sin. And, and we don't, it's not our job to try to connect the dots to that. You know what I mean? So, so you see somebody that's got disability and you, you can't automatically say, well, the, now there are times when we can say, you know, if you smoke 20 packs of cigarettes a day and you end up with lung cancer, we don't have to, you know, wonder, oh Lord, why did you, why did, we know why you, you, it, it's pretty obvious, but there's so many times when we try to connect the dots, that's above your pay grade. You have no business. Shame on you for trying to do that. If you're doing that, that's wrong. Put that in God's inbox. It's not up to us to decide, you know, who, who God's judging and why he's judging them and all that kind of stuff. Because again, I would be the first guy with leprosy in, the, in this room if that were the case. So in the case of the man born blind in John chapter nine, the disciples were dead wrong. They got it wrong. Jesus actually gives them the reason in, in nine three. He answers and said, it was not that this man sinned or that his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That was the reason. It was for God's glory according to his own purpose, that this man was born blind. He was born blind so that at this, at this time, Jesus could restore his sight fully in front of all of these people, authenticating who Jesus was. Now, now the blind guy could have said, come again, did you say that I was born blind from birth so that your works could be displayed to me this whole time I've been blind? So that, yeah, that's what happened. That's what it says. Now, it's a privilege on one hand for this guy to be able to glorify God in this way, but it's also brings up some hard questions, right? I think of somebody like Johnny Erickson Tata, if you're familiar with her story. Uh, she, was, she was in a diving accident as a teenager and paralyzed from the neck down. Um, could have gone a couple ways here, but I would say that the works of God have been displayed in this woman's life in a way that you cannot imagine, you know, way more than most of us because of the opportunity she had to glorify God through her circumstances. So this happens. Now, this leper, there's no doubt he had gotten used to the idea that everybody was d- despised him and judged him and, and assumed this personal sin aspect of his life. Uh, but that didn't stop him from coming to Jesus. He humbly comes before him and kneels down and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This statement should resonate with every sinner in this room right now. Lord, my sin has made me unclean and there is nothing I can do to make myself clean. But if you're willing, Lord, you can make me clean. That's, uh, that's my story right there. I've never had leprosy, but I, I completely resonate with, with what was said there. And in verse three, it says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And that means if he had rotting fingers and toes and things like this, because this is what leprosy was like, they were all restored. He, he, was, he was a filthy you know, and then cleansed completely, completely healed. This is, this is what's, what's happening. Jesus has the power to cleanse and heal anyone at any time, no matter how rotten they are. And, and some people have a hard time believing that. I, we've talked to so many people that say, well, I'm beyond hope. I'm beyond, I've, got, I've done too much. No, no, Jesus can heal the vilest of sinners. And as he, and as he spoke, um, when you think about how Jesus could have done this, we're talking about the God who spoke things into existence. Let there be light. And there was light. He could have done that. He could have said, let there be healing. And and this man could have been cleansed, but that's not how he chose to do it. Look at what it says. It says that he reached out his hand and and touched the the leper. Okay. You don't touch lepers like leprosy 101. Don't touch the leper. Never touch the leper. That's because what happens is now you're going to get what they have. Their uncleanness is going to come upon you. Now, again, if you're a sinner in this room, listen to that again. Jesus was willing to touch the unclean and allow himself to to take on their uncleanness. 
This is the message of the cross. This is exactly what Jesus did for sinners at the cross. He was willing to take on our, our uncleanness upon himself. This is just beautiful. Jesus in verse four said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof or a testimony to them. And so in Leviticus 14, he's just saying, follow the law that's given, go and, and show them that you've been healed. Um, don't, don't make a big deal about it. Don't tell a bunch of people about it. Just go to the priests. And it, he says, it'll be a proof or a testimony that, and what that means is basically nobody, people like this that are, that have this, that are full of leprosy, aren't getting healed on a daily basis. And there might be one other one in the Bible, Miriam, Moses' sister, that, that probably had this happen to her, but this is weird. And so the priests are going to see this and be like, okay, this is, this is different. And they're going to know that something's up. So even though Jesus hasn't been outed as the Messiah, this is going to kind of start to point them in that direction. It's interesting that he told the guy, hey, keep this on the DL. Don't, don't go telling everybody who did this. But you know what? That's all changed now. Jesus is, he, he's, he's now out in the open as far as who he is and what he's done. So if he has healed you from your uncleanness, you don't have to keep it quiet. You can go out and tell everybody that will hear you, there is someone that can make you clean. His name is Jesus. And so we're, we, we do just the opposite. Go and, you know, go tell it. Go, go. I was going to start singing a Christmas song, but I'm not going to do it. I had a little Jim Neighbors moment where go tell it on the mountain popped into my head. But In verse 5, we, we read about the next unlikely healing, and this is the Gentile. The Gentiles, this is, it's kind of weird. Um, it stands out as an unlikely healing for three reasons. The first one is simply that this man was a Gentile. If, if you know anything about Jewish culture and history, Gentiles were considered like dogs. They weren't, they weren't highly favored. They were outsiders. They were different. They were, they, we weren't, you know, they were, um, you didn't like them if you were, if you were a Jewish person. The second thing that's weird is this man was a Rolger, a Rolger, I just, a Roman soldier, Rolger, a Roman soldier, <laughs> occupying Israel at this time. So if you know about the history right now, you had um, Rome had taken over. And so imagine if we had been, if we'd been taken over by Russia and, and right now there's soldiers all around with guns telling us where we can go, where we can't go, what we can do, what we can't do. You would hate those people. You would not like that one bit. That's who this guy is. So, so he's different than them as far as his, his race, his nationality, his culture, and, and he represents the enemy. He's, he's, you know, even politically, he's an enemy. Keep that in mind because he's an enemy, but all of those things. And then the third thing that, that's kind of weird is that he's, he's making a request, which has got some risk involved in it, for a, a, just a lowly servant, a slave. They're, they're a dime a dozen. You can replace those, those guys all day long, but, but he's going he's gonna to go and approach Jesus, a Jewish man, and ask him for help. So this is weird. Now, it, it, we would understand something like this, like Jesus is going to He's going to honor this request. And, and we're thinking, this guy? You're going, to, you're going to help a guy like this, a Gentile dog, who's the enemy, who, who's going to, who, for somebody we don't even care about? Now, if, it's, if this was like a Jewish dignitary who was a very important man in their society, who had maybe a son who was ill, yeah, you, can, you can say, okay, I see why Jesus would want to help them. But this guy makes no sense. And there's an important lesson for us to learn here. Jesus sees importance in people and situations where we may see none. And, and I see this kind of, kind of terrible behavior among Christians right now where we see so many people out in the world that we, we just don't think are worthy of Jesus' attention, of his salvation. They're the enemy. We don't like them. And we need to kind of stop it. We let Jesus figure out who he wants to help. And, and let's be willing to love them and, and, and point them to Jesus because this is what we're called to do. Verse 5 tells us that when, this, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, 
A centurion came forward, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Now, I want you to try to imagine this, being the centurion for a second. Um, he's an important man. He's, 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 got, he's in charge of, uh, I don't know why commentators say 80 men, and some say 100 men. His title was a centurion. So I'm not, I'm not real good at math, but it's not an octarian. He's a centurion. So I'm going with 100. But, but his job was basically just to keep peace among the Jews. That's what he, that's what he did. And these people, like I said, probably despised him. So for him to go to a lowly Jewish man and ask for help would have been pretty embarrassing, a little humbling, and, and kind of risky, a little risky. But you know what's really risky? Is when you work for Lord Caesar and you go to a Jewish man and call him Lord, that's risky. I mean, if anybody would have heard that, he could have called him rabbi, he could have called him teacher, he calls him Lord. And that, that gives us just a little glimpse into the fact that this centurion knew who he was dealing with here. He obviously cares a great deal about this servant and, and the terrible suffering he's experienced. So he counts the cost and he decides it's worth the risk. And this is true of every one of us. At some point, we, we need to weigh the, the risk and the cost and decide, are we going to go to Jesus for help? Are, 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 how, how desperate are we? You know, I don't know, I've heard about people, I, I can't really relate to this at all, but people that, you know, they won't go to the doctor until it just gets really, really bad. I'm actually one of those people. It has to get really bad before I'm going to go uh, to a doctor because I'm that stubborn. And, and when it comes to your salvation, this is something, you know, has the scale tipped yet for you? Are, are, you, are you desperate enough to, to call on the name of Jesus like the centurion was? Or are you holding out until your situation gets worse? You know, maybe 10 years from now I'll do it, right? Are you holding out? Well, I've got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is your situation is far worse than you think it is. In fact, you should be on the phone calling 911 right now. The good news is that Jesus is the great physician, and he's right now accepting patients, new patients right now. You can, you can come to him. Um, that's going to change, though. There's going to come a time when that, that ark door is closed. So the good news is he will receive you right now just the way you are, and, and he will heal you of your condition of, of sin, not, not physical healing, sin. So the centurion, we, we see this example of somebody that was so desperate that he called on the name of Jesus. And every one of us has to get to that point where we realize, okay, I'm throwing up the white flag. I am that desperate. I will call on his name. And I love Jesus's response to him. You know, will you come and heal my servant? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll come heal him. And I, I'm thinking, don't you want to know more? <laughs> if somebody says to me, hey, Brent, would you do me a favor? I always say, it depends on what it is. <laughs> every time I want, give me more information. Don't, I mean, I think about that. Jesus, don't you want to know who this person is? What kind of person are we talking about? Does he deserve to be healed? Um, how bad is the situation? Is like his arm asleep or is he paralyzed from the neck down? What are we talking about here? What are we dealing with? How far away is it? Are we talking, are we talking 20 minutes? Or are we talking three days? There are questions I would want to know. How much is this going to inconvenience me is what it comes down to. Of course, Jesus doesn't have to ask these questions, does he? Because he knows the answer to all of them. The, the, the Gentile soldier's response is also amazing. In fact, in a second, it, we're going to be told that Jesus marvels at it. Verse eight, the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. If you know about Jewish and Gentile relationships, you know that if you're a Jew, you don't go into a Gentile's house. We learned that in the book of Acts with Peter when he got invited over and stuff. You just didn't do this because again, it would make you unclean. So he says, you don't have to come under my roof. I'm not worthy to have you come, but only say a word and my servant will be healed. 
For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he starts out first by acknowledging how unworthy he is to have Jesus come into his home. And on paper, this shouldn't be, this doesn't make any sense at all. It shouldn't be the case. It should be the other way around. He's an important Roman soldier. And you're, this is just a, a common Jewish man. So this, again, points to the fact that he knows who Jesus is. And then it, it's, that this is confirmed by the fact that he knows what Jesus is capable of. If we see that, he says, you don't need to be present. You can just heal him from here. <laughs> Isn't that cool? You can order sickness and disease around like a soldier. Hey, you, you disease, leave that person. Hey, you get it. I mean, he can do that. That's crazy. Who can do that, by the way? Only God can do that, right? Which means that he knew who he was dealing with. The, the, the soldier knew who, who he was, you know, who this was. God in the flesh. And if you think about it, the Roman soldier had to know that Jesus was omnipotent, okay? All-powerful. You can heal a paralyzed man. He, he knew that. He knew that he was omniscient. He didn't have to give him the address. He didn't have to tell him, you know, anything about this person, where he was, what to do. He knew that he could do, and he knew that he was omnipresent because he says, you don't even have to go there. You can just do it from here. Okay, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Who does that describe? That describes God alone, doesn't it? So he, he knows. And I, I love this because Jesus' own people couldn't figure out who Jesus was. But here's this Gentile soldier who gets it. And it says that in verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I am pretty sure there's never been a point where Jesus has marveled at my faith. I'm just, I can pretty much guarantee that. But this guy, he, he said, wow. Look at the faith this guy has. Isn't that cool? And, he, and he, this is a person who's not been steeped in Jewish history and tradition and all, the, all this stuff, and he knows exactly who Jesus is. So truly, I tell you, I found no one in Israel with such faith like this. And, and again, his own people didn't recognize him. And this just reinforces what David, Pastor David taught a, a couple of weeks ago in that passage where Jesus says that people are going to come to him and say, Lord, you, you know me? And he's like, I don't know you. This is confirming this, this thing. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you refuse to bow before Jesus as Lord, he's going to tell you that you're going to end up in a terrifying place that Jesus refers to. And again, hear these words. Jesus himself called this place a place of outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This, should, this, this is just a very terrifying statement. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying there's going to be Gentiles. There's going to be many people coming from all over the place. But in verse 12, he says, while the sons of the kingdom, the Jews, will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping of gnashing of teeth. Now, he's saying that there's, a lot, there's people that think they're going to get in just because of their, their nationality and, and who they are. And he's saying, no, there's going to be Gentiles that come and sit at my table. There's going to be Jews that come and sit at my table. And we're all going to be one in Christ. God's plan has always been to include all nations in his plan of redemption. And this, this Gentile centurion is just like a preview of, uh, of that reality. So I just want to remind you guys, if you've been invited to Sunday supper at the God who made you at his table, don't take that for granted. Do you realize for eternity, we get to just sit at his table as family and eat with the God who made us? Wow. All right. So Jesus chooses to bless this man and his request and the centurion, um, he, he says to him, go, let it be done for you have believed and the servant was healed at that very moment. So he's lying in bed, paralyzed, 
at one moment, nobody around, nothing going on. And then all of a sudden, just boom, he's, he's up and around going, you know, I don't know what, how this looked or what happened, but they didn't know what was going on. They had to wait till the centurion got home to find out what, what took place. But um, that, it's, a, it's a pretty, pretty cool account. And then it brings us to the third unlikely healing, which is the woman. And this is, uh, this is Peter's mother-in-law. So you might wonder why I added women to the list of those who are considered outcasts and marginalized. And there's, there's an obvious mother-in-law joke here that I'm going to just, I'm going to stay away from because I really like my mother-in-law. Um, but the truth is that in society uh, at this time, women were not held in high esteem. A devout Jewish man is said to have said this prayer every day, which is kind of bizarre, but Lord, I thank you that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. That, that was the mindset at this point. And I want to just point out that Christianity often gets lumped into this same negative view of women, but I would argue that Christianity has completely changed the way that women are viewed and treated. And, and I would say if you go to any country where Christianity has been outright, outright rejected and look at the way the women are treated there, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. We're living in a time right now that's pretty bizarre where people are trying to erase the beautiful way in which God has created women uniquely distinct and, and, and in, in his image. And it, it's very frustrating to see it taking place. I, I, get, I get angry about it. Women are, are special. They're to be celebrated. They're to be cherished. They're to be honored, respected, not diminished. And, in, and somehow in the name of women's rights and women's advancements, we're actually erasing what it means to be a woman. <laughs> I don't know what just, anyway, I don't think any of us are doing it, but stop it. it it's It's wrong. Jesus had a very high view of women. Think about the way he interacted with women, Mary and Martha, and, and you had the, the Samaritan woman, and you had uh, Mary Magdalene, and now you see it here with the compassion he had for Peter's mother-in-law. Verse 14 says, when he entered Peter's house, he saw the mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. We're not told of the severity of her sickness. Uh, many commentators said that she probably had malaria. All I know is if, if there's a, a mom in a house and there's company and she can serve, she's serving. That's just the way it works. So if she's incapable of doing that, it's different than a man. You know, if I have a sniffle, I'm not doing anything. But <laughs> it's the way it is. But, but she was bed, you know, bed, she couldn't get out of bed. So we know it was bad, whatever it was. And Jesus has compassion on her when he sees her and, and he touches her hand. Again, a Jewish no-no. She's, she's got a fever. She's sick. You, again, that will make you unclean. You don't touch. But one touch and she's immediately healed. And, and look at her natural response. It's kind of cool. Rise and serve. Now, I don't want to go too far with this, but as Christians, when Jesus heals you, maybe your natural instinct ought to be Thank you so much for doing this for me. And then rise and serve should be your life for that point forward, right? It, it, it was her response. Now, um, her, uh, this is the only miracle we read about today where there was no request made for help. And, and that'll come into play in a minute. So he just saw her condition and chose to heal her. And then once word gets out that there's somebody who is able to miraculously heal people, crowds begin to come. So we read in verse 16, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. And we're going to talk more about demon possession in an in in account later in this chapter, so I'm going to wait till then to, to get into that. But this, again, it just fulfills what the way the chapter ends in verse 17. Um, this one who would take our illnesses and bear our diseases is among us. And, and we know that this is speaking of Jesus. So um, this is the text. The observations that I want to make, uh, there's just uh, four of them that'll, that'll move through pretty quickly. But the first one is this. Jesus is the un, 
disputed, undefeated heavyweight champion of the world. And what I mean by that is that no matter who steps into the ring with Jesus, they're going down, right? He, he has authority over disease. He has authority over disability, over sickness, over demons, over death. He can whoop all of them with ease. He has complete authority over everything. And this is something we say we believe, but very often we don't act like we believe it. And I want to point this out because of what's happened in the last couple of years. I think we just need to be reminded of this uh, because it's been a weird couple of years with stuff going on that's uh, unknown. But I want you just, I want to ask this question. How hard was it for Jesus to heal these people? Effortless. He didn't break a sweat, did he? He didn't have to really focus or try or he just, he just healed them. We're talking about the God who spoke everything into existence after all. Nothing is too hard for him. He could touch a guy full of leprosy and he's cleansed. He could long distance heal a guy who was paralyzed without breaking his sweat. Have diseases gotten harder for him to conquer? No. It's funny because I think we think of something like COVID as God's kryptonite. Oh, we finally found something he can't deal with. No, that's your kryptonite, not his. He doesn't have anything he can't deal with. He doesn't have any chinks in his armor. You know, we act like it's outside of God's power to control it, but it's not. Now, that doesn't mean people don't get sick. It doesn't mean people don't die. It doesn't mean we don't use common sense. We still do all those things. It just means we don't need to live in fear. We can trust in God's sovereign power and his sovereign control and and, and his will through all of it. And, and I see that very clearly in this passage. Now, the next observation is this. There is a difference between God's sovereign power and God's sovereign will. Sovereign power means that God can heal anyone. Sovereign will means God may not heal everyone. Able to and willing to are two very different things. The leper understood this. Remember the question? He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. So he, he knew that if God had the desire to do it, he could. He also knew that he may not have the desire to do it. Most of us understand that, you know, that Jesus has the ability. We're just not clear on the willingness part, right? And then this is what we, I found most Christians have been taught, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we've been taught that the more faith we have, the more willing God will be to heal us. And don't misunderstand, faith plays a part. I, I don't want to say it doesn't, but the idea that if we have enough faith, God will be more willing, maybe even obligated to, to do what we want him to do. And the problem with that is with that thinking, who, who, who's the healing up to? It's more up to us, really, than it is up to him in some ways. That's not how it works, though, I don't believe. How much faith did Peter's mother-in-law exhibit? None. She was just laying there sick, according to what we read. And if you want another great example, uh, let's rate the Apostle Paul's faith on a scale from 1 to 10. Where would you put Paul? 10 being the, the most faith somebody can have and, and 1 being like where I'm at. <laughs> Paul's a 10. We know that. Paul's Paul's a 10. Paul asked God in faith multiple times to remove a a thorn from his flesh. Did that result in Paul being healed? Nope. Well, we just established it wasn't because of faith. We also know it wasn't because God didn't love him or care about him. So what's going on here? Paul really wanted this gone. And he asked in faith. But God wasn't willing to do it. And the reason is because it served a purpose. God had a purpose in it that Paul may not have even understood or liked if he did, but it didn't change the fact. 
We need to learn this. We need to learn to pray this way. And I appreciate it. Even when, during the sharing time, we have different guys come up here. And I love when I hear that, God, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. We can let them know the desire of our heart. We can let them know that we believe he's able. But at the end of the day, we have to say, Lord, your will be done in this and trust in that. And that's the, that's the part that we don't get. I think we think of faith as being the, posi- the power of positive thinking. If I just knuckle up enough and really believe and, and uh, faith, Lord, now you have to do it. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not what faith is. That's the power of positive thinking. Faith means, Lord, if you say yes, I trust you. If you say no, I trust you. If you say yes, you're good. If you say no, you're good. And, I, and I'm okay with either one. That's what faith is. Now, I'm sure the apostles, if you think about it, think about this. They've walked with Jesus for years. They've seen what he can do. And on the night of his betrayal, they watch everything fall apart. And they're probably praying. And they're probably aware, Lord, you could stop this at any moment. We've seen what you're capable of. Why are you letting this happen? And the point is, God had a purpose. That if if the apostles would have gotten their way, if their prayers would have been answered according to the faith they had, we wouldn't be saved right now. Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. We don't always understand what God is doing, but does God know what he's doing? He does. And there's going to be times when we can't make sense of it in our own life or in the life of others. And this is where faith must come in. But when you begin to doubt and waver, spend some time at the cross. Think about what God accomplished there. Something none of us would have prayed for. And this is how salvation was accomplished. God knows what he's doing. This also comes in handy when I dis out, when I begin to doubt uh, God's desire to do good for me, because I struggle with this. You know, I don't doubt God's ability. I doubt why would you do something for, for a wretch like me? Why would you want to do anything good for me? I don't deserve your kindness, Lord. And, and so when I start to doubt these things, I also, I go back to the cross again and I remember, okay, he sent Jesus to die on the cross in my place. What can I learn from that? He, he loves me. If he was willing to do that, is he going to not take care of something else? I mean, that, that's, and I also have to remind myself of this. The reason that God is good to me is not because I'm awesome. Not at all. Not because I deserve it. Not because I have faith or anything else. The reason he's good to me is because according to what the Bible says, my life is hidden in his son, Jesus. So that when he looks at me, he sees his son. And if that's not uh, you know, like a warm, comforting blanket of truth to wrap yourself in. I don't know what else to give you. My father loves me and he's doing what's best for me because of Jesus. And, and, and that's, that's amazing. So healings are great when they happen, uh, but they're not guaranteed. Any and all healings are a result of the grace of God. But they're also this, next observation, they are a preview of coming attractions, right? So the miracles Jesus did had a definite purpose, purpose right at that time. They, they authenticated the message of who he was, what he came to do, and what he had in store, all of those things. But they also had a purpose in showing us what's coming in his kingdom. Because a day is going to come where all of these things you know, that, that we hate in life, all the diseases, all the sickness, all the disability, all of this stuff is going away. And, and this is proclaiming a time when, it, when, it's, when it's coming. So it says in Matthew 9, Jesus went throughout all the cities, teaching them, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He ties those two things together. So it's almost like he's going around saying, hey, here's a little snippet of the kingdom. Hey, here's one for you. Have a little preview of what's coming so that we could have hope in a day when, when whatever we have going on goes away. Now, we're still looking forward to this. It's the last chapter that we haven't read yet. It's the restoration of all things. 
But a time is coming when Jesus is going to reverse the curse. He's going to fix all the stuff that we broke and, and, and we get to be there in his kingdom if we're his children. Everything he desired for his creation will, will come to pass. And so I, you know, I, I can't wait for a day like that. My back was out a week ago. I could hardly walk. And I prayed like Paul more than three times for God to remove that from me. And uh, I didn't get it, you know, and I, I went through this whole thing as I'm preparing this message. That's how it works sometimes. Like, Lord, why? Why? You know, and so all of this is, you know, but one day I get a new back. And the cool thing was, praise to God, I woke up on my birthday in pain the night before I woke up the next day and I was like, I felt great. So I got a little wink from God, like a little birthday present. So, and I've been good ever since. So thank you, Lord. Anyway, I can't wait for that day. The last observation is this. If Jesus loved the outcasts, shouldn't we love the outcasts? Uh, the people in these accounts kind of represent the least likely among us to be healed in their estimation. We have those same people in our life. We, we, we can look around and say, well, they don't deserve this. They don't, we don't like them. We don't like, we do this all the time. But how did Jesus treat them? That's the question. He paid attention to them. He loved them. He treated them with dignity and kindness and respect. He cleansed them and he healed them and he restored them. What do we do with these sorts of people? You know, are we like Jesus toward them or do we do our best to avoid them? When we hear that, that somebody cry out unclean, are we like, oh no, man, somebody's, how do I, you kind of hope somebody else will come and deal with them. That's what I tend to do. Like, no, we're not one of those folks. I want you to imagine for a second, if Jesus had, had got done preaching that sermon and he's walking down the hill and they're all waiting to watch and see what's going to happen. And the leper approaches him and says, Hey, would you please heal me? And he just kind of kicks him to the curb and says, get away from me, you freak. What would that have done to his message? Kind of erases the whole thing, doesn't it? What would that have done to his credibility? More than ever as Christians, our talk and our walk need to begin to match up again because we say we're followers of Christ, but oftentimes we don't, we don't love people like Christ did. If we're going to teach what Christ taught, we ought to live like he lived and follow his example. So the next time you're struggling with, with loving the outcasts or the underdogs or the outsiders, uh, remind yourself of how Jesus treated them. Remind yourself of who he came for. And as much as you don't want to, remind yourself that if you're in the group of people that he came for, guess, guess what that makes you? <laughs> kind of an outcast too, right? I, I mean, I, I accept it. I'm like, my name is Brent Maxwell. I'm an outcast. I know what I am. But, but, but you know, you're one of these people that he came for. This is one of you. This is you too. And this is the cool thing that I think just kind of to, to walk away from, you know, today with is think about the temple for a minute and the way that it was set up. You had the Holy of Holies, this place that only the high priest could go. And then you had the, the next section where only the priest could go. Then you had, you know, walls that separated all these. Then you had only where the men could go. And then more walls and only where the women could go. And then more walls where, you know, the court of the Gentiles. And then even outside of this area, that's where the lepers are. And, and by Jesus coming and did what he did, it's just imagine dominoes, just one wall, boom, 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 falling. And the outcasts get to come in. I mean, this is what he's accomplished for us. A leper can go into the Holy of Holies now because Jesus came for sinners. And that includes you and I. And this is the message that we have to take out into the world. And I'm just, it's, it's still like hard to believe that this is real, but it's real. Father, thank you so much that, that as, as, uh, as people who really are outcasts, we can relate to these people in the story. We're in awe that, that you care and that you came 
and that, and that you're, you're willing to change all of this. So, so Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for providing um, Christ for us uh, as a substitute for our sins so that we can be fully cleansed and healed. Thank you that there's a day coming when, when everything will be restored to the way you want it to be. And that, Lord, if we just believe in, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, turn from our sins and turn to him as Lord, we get to be in that kingdom. We get to sit at your table. And so, Lord, I just pray if there's anybody here today that, that, that isn't in that, at that place where they've um, dealt with Jesus honestly and come before him as Lord, that today might be the day they bow and, and surrender. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen.